Hello everybody, we are once again back on The Passion Project, the podcast where it doesn't matter if anybody else cares as long as you do. So let's just get straight into it this week. I don't need to ramble too much at the start. Today I have with me Kyle. Hey Kyle, how's it going? It's going well, how are you doing? Uh, I'm not too bad, not too bad. So what is it that you are here to talk to me about this week? I am here to talk to you about my career, my passion of music therapy. Okay, and apart from what is fairly self-explanatory in the name, what exactly is music therapy? Uh, I like to think of it um, as sort of counseling through music or... Um, I mean, uh, music therapy is a cradle-to-grave profession, so we have therapists that work in... Uh, with a neonatal intensive care unit with premature babies all the way up through different areas in hospitals and in rehab clinics all the way through end-of-life care and hospice. Um, The official definition, I guess, as official as you can get, a lot of people describe it in different ways, is um, the evidence-based use of music by a certified professional within a therapeutic relationship to address goals related to psychology, physiology, spirituality, and education. That does sound like a pretty official definition. (laughs) There's so many different definitions, but there are also so many people who want to make sure that they include certain things that they think are important. Right. And so sometimes our definitions get a little rambly, but <laughs> yes. I mean, that's about as succinct as we're going to get, I think. Uh-huh. Well, I think that really does encompass pretty much the majority of it. You can just keep adding to the yeah. definition as time goes on. <laughs> so obviously... Pretty, pretty much do, yeah. You are one of these certified professionals, I gather? I am, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Passed my board exam, oh man, almost five years ago now, July right. of 2013. Right. Um, had my bachelor's degree in music therapy and then had to do a six-month clinical internship. Did that in a memory care unit at a veterans hospital. Right. And have been working in adolescent psych ever since. Wow. So how did this come about as the thing you ended up doing? Were... Because, I mean, I, I feel like music therapy is like much more, a bit more niche than regular therapy. So were you a musician with interest in like the, the psychology therapy side of things or like how did you get into this? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, my mom was a social worker for my entire childhood growing up and my family was very service oriented and mm. service minded. So I knew I wanted to do something in the service field, social work, psychology, whatever that may be, uh, had an interest in abnormal psychology um, and um, sort of the bipolar disorder, depression, uh, mood disorder sort of thing. But I also knew that I wanted music to be a part of it. So part of my schooling in high school was we took this class called Careers, which was basically an intro to... um, building resumes and interview skills and that sort of thing. And part of the class was taking career aptitude tests Mm. and music therapy popped up in number two in my top three. I had no idea what it was, (laughs) Uh, was very lucky to find that there was someone who did it near in a town nearby. So I went and observed her uh, do a session in a dementia care unit. And I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. 
And as I learned more about it, it, it was kind of it was kind of the perfect blend of what I wanted to do. I, I had wanted to double major in college in music and psychology and try to figure that out. Yeah. But here it is, this prepackaged sort of thing. I, I could just do one track and be able to do exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. So basically the career you wanted existed, you just had no idea that it was out there at that point in time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. Hey, turns out career aptitude tests can sometimes be useful. Turns out, who knew? Because, yeah, like, I mean, we don't really, at least as far as I know from my history in school, which is a while ago now, we did not have career aptitude tests or anything of that sort. So I, I, don't, I don't know if that's a uniquely American thing or whether it just isn't in around I, where I, I live in Australia. It, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's unique to my high school because mm. I grew up in the state of Minnesota in the United yeah. States. And I went to school and went to college in Iowa. And I was talking about, oh, yeah, the careers class. And apparently that's not anything yeah. in Iowa. I've never I'm not heard. sure it's even anything outside of my little town in Minnesota. So I've, uh, I, yeah. I got really lucky. I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have that class. I've never heard anything like that. But, yeah, it's one of those things that it's always baffled me that hasn't existed because, you know, it seems like a very sensible thing for kids to learn who are, are going to have to go out and learn how to get jobs. Yeah. Hmm. So I mean, okay. you see it on social media all the time. Oh, I wish there was a class about this. And it's like, I took that class. Yeah. I don't know. Go to, go to this very specific school. <laughs> so, yeah. So, obviously, okay, you found that out. So, what, you just like went straight into studying that straight out of school? Uh, yeah. So, I, yeah, right out of high school, I learned what it was. I saw that it was something that I wanted to do. So I made sure that um, it was the very first thing I signed up for. So like I mentioned earlier, I had my bachelor's degree in music therapy. So I took a lot of music classes in college, a lot of psychology classes, a couple of education classes, just trying to, to get all the perspective, a couple of biology classes too, since some therapists work in um, physical rehab. Mm. So understanding how joints work and how the body works and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it was pretty comprehensive. So, what was your history with or your experience with music before this or leading up to this? Were you, did you play an instrument, several instruments? Um, I I like to joke sometimes that it's easier to list the instruments I don't play <laughs> right, than the ones I do play. You're one of those I, people. I, know I started piano lessons. In, yeah, one of those people exactly. Uh, I started piano lessons in third grade, I think. And then started learning the cello in fourth grade, started learning the trumpet in fifth grade, switched to the drums in sixth grade, and then have just been adding, learned guitar in eighth grade. My minor instrument in college was the pipe organ. So I know a little bit of Bach and, and stuff like that. Um, so it's kind of, and I've just been trying to grow musically wherever I can. Right. So is that, is that a family thing? Do you come from a particularly musical family? I do not, actually. Uh, my mom sings. Right. My dad plays the drums, and he likes to joke that when the notes are straight across, like on a snare drum part or something, he's fine, but as soon as the notes start going up and down, he has no idea <laughs> what's going on. And then my sister played clarinet, but I, I picked up the rest of the family band, basically. Right. You're just covering the rest of the bases where everyone was letting the family down. 
Everybody, as you may have been able to hear, that we had a few little weird technical issues going on coming from Carl's end there. So we've just quickly had to do a switch over of how we were recording. No big deal. So, But if you notice a slight change in the audio from here on out, that would be why. But anyways, we shall get back to it. So what exactly is some of the more common uses for music therapy? or What are the ways in which it's implemented to help people? Uh, sure. So the kids that I work with, um, have experienced a lot of trauma growing up, uh, a lot of abuse and neglect and that sort of thing. So a lot of times in brain development that interferes with their ability to recognize when they're feeling emotions and recognize um, how to, how that affects them and how that affects how they interact with people. And then also interferes with how they express that. So a lot of times I'll try to use different music interventions to help identify those emotions and then help express them. So sometimes that is through writing songs and focusing specifically on when I'm feeling angry, for example. I feel it somewhere in my body. I feel it in, in my hands, in my stomach, in my face. Um, a lot of times just playing instruments helps a lot. So I'll do a lot of drum circles because it takes working together mm. in order to... Um, create music and to create groove and sometimes that's frustrating when people don't do what you want them to do yeah then that's also recognizing that that's frustrating and then how do you manage that how do you cope that how do you express that to other people as well uh, so is it to sort of directed towards helping them better like communicate and express themselves in time as time goes on is it does that work towards like helping them communicate more verbally as well outside of the music? Yeah, I think it does. there's a lot of um, different aspects of communicating emotions that are transferable from singing or writing music and then being able to do that. So sometimes I might structure a songwriting situation as sort of a role play. So when I'm feeling angry, I can say that I'm feeling angry and this is why, and then hopefully there's that connection of, oh, yeah, I, I wrote a song about this. Hey, I'm feeling angry because of this. What can we do about it? And then hopefully that helps them uh, be able to address those emotional needs that they have. Yeah, and were you, how, have you always been working in the child-focused area, or is that where you always intended to go towards, or is that where you've more found yourself? That's always where I've wanted to go. I think I mentioned earlier that I've had an interest in psychology in general, and I really enjoy working with adolescents and teenagers and uh, solidified that feeling of, of wanting to do that when I was a camp counselor. Ah, so yes. it was just kind of, it was an area that I knew I wanted to focus on. It took a while to get there. My first job was um, working in a bunch of different nursing homes and uh, dementia care units, which is similar in brain development, uh, dementia, and trauma affect the same sort of areas of the brain. So it was, it was similar in, in that vein, but, you know, old, older folks aren't always as receptive to <laughs> trying yeah. to talk about emotions and music than kids are sometimes. Yeah, they are definitely more long set in their ways at that point. Oh, yeah. So is there, diff is there a difference in the kind of therapies you would use within the elderly community compared to the ones you use with the kids? 
Um, there are a lot of times in older adult um, populations, communities, especially in memory care, uh, dementia kind of affects your orientation to reality. So a lot of people think that dementia and Alzheimer's is just extreme memory loss, but there really is a, a sort of psychosis yeah. that comes with it too. So in a group setting with music therapy, a lot of that will be um, getting them oriented to reality, whether that's through singing familiar songs to keep them in the present, asking them questions, asking them to reminisce about uh, things, um, just to get them talking, to get them socializing, because there is some research out there that shows that people with dementia, if they don't socialize, if they don't interact with people, it actually ages the brain faster. Mm. So a lot of times in group settings in dementia, it's just getting them to interact, getting them to be able to have positive situations and be able to talk and enjoy themselves and lift up their mood, and hopefully that can stave off some of those effects of brain aging. Yeah, well, it does make sense because you assume that the less stimulated the brain is going to be like by like a lack of conversation, the more easy it is it's going to be for it to start wearing down. Oh, absolutely. So how long have you worked in the, the childhood area of it, so where you are now? Yeah, it'll be four years in July. Right. So I'm um, over three and a half years. So yeah, um, so that came from you said that came from, or you were inspired by the time being a camp counselor. So when you were a camp counselor, did you do any sort of music stuff at the camps or anything like that? Did you incorporate that side of thing into there? I tried to. Um, it helped uh, that I was often one of only three or four people that knew how to play guitar. Hmm. So I I would often do a lot of like the music playing of any sort of group thing that we did. Um, There's a lot of different ways to add music or musical elements into some of the games that we played and make it a little more interactive. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of, it's just interesting how even outside of the music, sometimes just having a relationship with a kid or having a kid have a stable relationship with somebody can improve just their overall ability to express themselves yeah i've noticed a lot of times that the kids that i work with if they don't trust you they won't talk about anything yeah and so it's having that relationship to be able to oh this is this person let me tell a little bit about myself let me show this vulnerable side of me and then that gives you a foot in the door in order to do something about it yeah yeah because i mean i can only guess that a lot of these kids that you deal with come from environments where they don't necessarily don't necessarily have a lot of adults who they can trust or feel comfortable enough to talk to oh absolutely like if if people knew half of the stuff that the kids i work with have gone through they would just be amazed at how resilient these kids are especially some of our younger kids we've been getting a lot of 9 10 11 year olds lately and just a lot of the things that they've been through is are, are pretty horrific. And it's yeah. incredible that they're even around and playing with Legos like a normal kid might. Yeah, yeah. I mean like I mean I work in a in a field that exposes me to a lot of like court cases and stuff with that stuff like that. So 
the uh, the amount of terrible stuff that happens to children i am i am fairly aware of it <laughs> i have heard a lot of it and it's yeah it's a pretty awful out there mhm so is it the kind of thing do you do you, do you try tailor things differently for specific kids do you find things work better with some kids compared to others yeah i think just like any sort of other therapy, whether it's art therapy or talk therapy or anything like that, I mean, people are going to be more receptive to some things than other things. A lot of the kids that I work with are really resistant to songwriting because they have this mental block of songwriting is hard and I don't like to write anyway, so why would I even do that? So sometimes we'll circumvent that. We'll do some improvisation and we'll just say, hey, I'm going to give you a line and you make up something that goes with that line. And then all of a sudden they're writing a song. Or they'll say, I'll bring out some drums, and they'll say, I don't know how to play the drums, I'm not musical at all. Mm. And I'll just say, well, copy this rhythm, and then copy that rhythm, and then give them another rhythm, and then they copy that rhythm. Um, music is a great way to sneak into therapeutic ideas and therapeutic interventions. I've had a lot of great conversations with kids that have started with, teach me how to play piano. I yeah. go, okay, I'll teach you a couple things. And then as they're doing that, they'll talk about how it's frustrating, it's hard. Well, when things are frustrating and hard, what can you do? How can you go with that? All of a sudden, they've had a therapy session and they don't even realize it. Yeah, you're just tricking them through the power of music into having therapy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they never see it coming. So do, do some of the kids go on to like learn instruments? Have you had that kind of situation where they've gone on to become sort of musical themselves? Oh, yeah. Um, we've had a couple kids that um, I'm, I will not admit to being the best instrument teacher by <laughs> any means, but I've worked with kids and, and have them kind of dictate, well, this is what I want to learn today. So it's like, okay, let's work on this. Let's work on, on the piano. Let's work on some chords. Let's work on playing the melody a little bit. Um, I just had a kid recently who made it into uh, the winter play at the high school that he goes to. Um, some of our kids, most of our kids go to school on our um, campus grounds, but some kids get to go to public school. So this kid was in public school, got into the winter play, and the character that he got was someone who had to play piano. So a lot mm -hmm. of times in our lessons, it was working on what he needed to play in this play, Right. In order to do that. And then that led to, sometimes that led to conversations of, oh, I've never been in a play before. I'm really nervous. What if I forget my lines and do that? And then we're talking about anxiety. And we're talking yeah. about how to manage that anxiety and how to manage stage fright. And then he ended up doing really well. I got to see him. And I was really proud of him for sitting uh, down and playing that music in front of, in front of a live audience, which is yeah. something I don't think I ever would have done at his age. No, no. So did he... Was did he were you, was he seeing you before he auditioned to for this this play his performance? He did not. Right. So <laughs> he just came into his lesson one day and said, "Hey, I'm in a play and I need to learn this song." And I went, "Oh, congratulations right. for getting in the play. Here we go." Okay, so you said you work on a on a campus that some people, well, some of the kids go to the school there. So, as a part of a school campus, or what? What do you mean by a campus exactly? So we are a, the place that I work at is a residential treatment center. So right. all of our kids 
live in this, uh, there's several different cottages and units on our, we, we call it campus grounds because yeah. it's just kind of it's just easier. all one big property. Yeah. So there's uh, a school on the grounds, so kids who need uh, like a therapeutic day school. So if kids need some specific uh, specialized attention in education, they can get that. Um, there are, what else is there? They get a lot of their, almost all of their therapy through therapists and through me and through a couple of other of my coworkers. Um, there's a on-grounds cafeteria that makes all their foods, all their meals, so they don't have to worry about buying groceries or anything like that. And then as they progress and get special privileges, they're able to do stuff like go to public school or have time out in the community where they can just hang out in the library a little bit or go shopping or go to the gas station by themselves. Right. So how do kids end up there? What is it that leads to kids ending up being there? A lot of our kids are, um, oh, they just changed the terminology lately. We used to say wards of the state, but now I have to say that they're clients in care, which right. basically means that because of the abuse that they've gone through, um, their biological parents or their adoptive parents aren't able to take care of them anymore. Yeah. So they surrender their parental rights, which basically means these kids have no family and no home, and so they come to us. Right. So they're within the state system. Um, there's a couple of different facilities like ours. So if they don't come to us, they come to somebody else. And then um, we kind of work with them from there. We're what's known commonly as a uh, step-down facility. So we're not as intense as maybe a hospital or right. uh, like jail or something. But we're also not a uh, group home or a foster care system either we're kind of right. in between that stage right right so yeah so i guess so who looks so okay what how does how is the structure so obviously you do the therapy stuff or do that do they they live on they live there as well they that kind of stuff they all is that they just yeah. live on this campus and like how how would like days be structured for those kids like obviously there'd be the therapy time is it there's a obviously a school system on grounds mm -hmm. and so generally their their day will be they wake up and they do a morning routine have breakfast get ready for the day they'll go to school during normal school hours 8 a.m to 3 p.m and then um from there that's when they engage in a lot of these different therapies so the department i work in is actually called a special therapies department Right. So we do a lot of music and a lot of art. We also have a sports team, and we mm. play other um, schools in the area sometimes. Mm. So they're getting a little bit of everything. They're sitting down and talking with an individual therapist, but then they might also be in a songwriting class with me, or they might be on our basketball team and playing games and learning sports through that way. Yeah, about and how many kids approximately would be in this kind of place? Our facility, if we have every bed full, will be about 60 kids. Right, right. So it's we different. have different cottages and units that have 10 kids per unit um, with usually four staff working there at any given time to help out if kids have any sort of emotional needs. They have somebody to 
talk to. Their day is really highly structured. There's yeah, I assume that hardly was, any free time for them. Yeah, I assume structure is sort of a necessity and I guess a form of the therapy process in itself, just giving them a structured life on a day to day basis. Oh, yeah. A lot of kids have never had structure. So the fact that, oh, I know exact at four o'clock every day, I'm going to get a snack after yeah. school. Yeah. Is sometimes that's mind blowing <laughs> that that's a consistent thing anymore. Yeah. And how does leisure time work in that kind of situation? Do they get a certain amount of time to do what they want in a day or yeah they um if they are lucky enough uh, some like i said a lot of our kids are resistant so yeah, yeah. To therapy so if they're quote unquote lucky enough to not have any therapy for that day usually they you know there's video games that they can play there's movies that they can watch uh we try to normalize uh as much of the day as possible since yeah. It's not really normal to be living in a residential treatment center. So we'll normalize it. Like Staff will take them out to movies on the weekends, uh, take them out to eat sometimes, bring in some different treats and different experiences. Hmm. Um, yeah, so I was thinking, because you mentioned like they sometimes have access to video games. Has Have some of like the music games, things like Guitar Hero and Rock Band or any of that, has any of that ever been used like, or be useful in a musical therapy kind of situation? Um, I've tried to use Guitar Hero a couple of times, but it's kind of, it's a weird, you'd think it'd be great because it's music and it's video games and it's two things that every teenager loves, but there's the coordination of trying to remember to flip a switch and hit a button and follow when things are changing is, I, I haven't found a successful use for it yet. Some kids are better at it than others, but... Right. I mean, sometimes just even challenging kids, especially because they have a lot of different challenges in video games. So sometimes I'll do that in the music too. And it's just like going back to a songwriting example. I don't know how to write a song. Well, write two lines. Write two thoughts that you have in your head right now. Yeah. Now expand on those thoughts. <laughs> Surprise, you've written a song. Yeah. Or I only write poetry. Well, poetry is music. Poetry is song. Write a poem about this, and then let's put it to music and see yeah. how that works. So, I assume you don't live on the campus. <laughs> no, I do not. Right, right. I assume there's other there's there's certain staff members who would, and certain ones who don't. I gather. I mean, we're staffed twenty four hours. There are specific staff that work overnight shifts. They come in at eleven at night, and they stay the whole night, and then they leave at seven in the morning. Right. Um, so nobody, to my knowledge, some, a lot of staff work there so often you think they do live there, hmm. but no, no staff ever lived there, but we're just constantly rotating people in, um, building those relationships with them, making sure that everything is still structured and still going according to plan. Yeah. Like how, how frequently would you be getting new kids coming into a place like that? Our average stay is about 18 months, I think, is the last data that I looked at. Um, we have kids that stay shorter. We've had kids stay for six or seven months. We have a kid right now who's been with us for nine years. Right. And when he turns 18, he'll be out of here. It just kind of depends on uh, their severity when they come in. 
depends on if they're actually engaging in therapy. Um, depends on even if there's a place for them to go. Sometimes there's just no home or no place for any of those kids to go, so they just stay for a really long time. Yeah, so uh, which is great. We love them. They they engage and they're usually pretty friendly, but it's also kind of disappointing that yeah. someone's been here for five or six years and there's no foster home or there's no transitional program for them to go to, no group home. Yeah, so is that's where they go afterwards? They go foster homes, group homes, that sort of place is where the next step is for them? Yeah, if they're successful, that's usually where they go. Right, and in in the case of said the one who's been there for nine years is that is that because there's nowhere for him to go or like has there's been more struggles with the process for that kid or what what causes that to happen his his situation is just that there's nowhere for him to go like he still has family support they come visit him but they've expressed that they're just not able to care for him yeah and so it's just kind of we don't know what else to do with him. He's he's lived on several of our different units, and so we just kind of gotta yeah. give him the best life that we can, and hopefully, when he leaves, he's able to function in society. Does it teach them also basic life skills and stuff like that at the campus? Like just you know, especially yeah, we uh, we we have a couple of different programs to like a lot of our kids have jobs through our vocational program. So, and uh, sometimes those are jobs like we collect all the recycling and we take it to the recycling center. But there are some kids that through this vocational program work in restaurants or work at different stores and have essentially a full-time job and a job that they can keep if they leave, um, which is pretty cool. I've seen a lot of our kids at work and they don't want to acknowledge me, but I, I see them and I go, Oh, good. Yeah, you are working. You're doing really great. I'm really proud of you. Yeah, like it's a. Do you think part of it they don't want to acknowledge you just because of when they're outside of work? It's like they don't want that association that you know they're they're from this place or anything like that. It's just kind of. Yeah, there there is kind of a stigma, especially when they're in public school. A lot of our kids have talked about how um, they're just really careful about where they say they live just because yeah. they say that they're at our facility, that there's that stigma of, oh, they're bad kids or yeah. they're crazy and, yeah. and they can't live at home anymore and just just normal adolescent stuff. Yeah, and kids yeah. being kids, like that information gets out of the school, you know that there's a lot <laughs> of kids that are just going to be absolute jerks about it. Yeah, spreads all over the place. I, I assume there's been instances where that's happened and probably comes back to something you need to deal with in the therapy side of things yeah sometimes uh things slip we've had a couple situations where um sometimes two different kids take two completely different approaches to it one person's like oh yeah i live at this place but because i'm struggling with stuff i'm trying to get better and another kid goes yeah i don't know anything about that place those kids are nuts those kids are crazy Right. And then they try to interact with each other and just kind of leads to yeah. situations that we got to take care of later. Yeah. So is there some situations where maybe a kid will go out to a public school and it doesn't kind of work, so they have to come back? Yeah, we've had a couple of situations like that. Um, one of them was behaviorally just wasn't cutting it. There just wasn't enough structure in a public school setting yeah. for them. 
so they had to come back. The other one was just lazy and <laughs> didn't want to go to school at all. So he's like, I, I like the on-campus one better. Yeah, so I, don't, I like having to walk out my door and it's right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can sleep in longer that way. Oh. <laughs> or can they though? I do, or do they have structured like wake-up times every day? Oh, there's structured wake-up time. Yeah. There's everything is structured from right. the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed. Right. So no, no sleep-ins. So how how much do you tailor like the different musical therapy things you try to for the different kids? Um, I try to be really mindful of music that I know that they enjoy. So part of the one of the first conversations that I have with a person that comes in is what music do you listen to? What do you like? Do you listen to different music when you're upset versus when you're calm versus when you're doing stuff? I, I like to take that. You know, sometimes they don't understand what I'm asking, so sometimes I take that opportunity to say, well, you know, when I'm at home and I'm in a calm mood, I listen to Bob Dylan, I listen to folk music, but if i got to clean up around the house, I'm putting on DMX, I'm putting on Snoop Dogg. Rap music helps me focus and, and get all my chores done. And so they're like, oh, yeah, so when I'm angry, I listen to metal, but when I'm calm, I listen to country. And so keeping that in mind, anytime I have to do any sort of pre-recorded music, I'll take an opportunity and just look over our conversation again and say, oh, well, there is a country song that relates to this thing that they had talked about, so let's use that song. Let's look at those lyrics and kind of understand what they're trying to say and see if there's anything that we can apply to ourselves. Mm. So yeah, so is that how you use the the pre-existing music side of things sort of as a way for them to try to find songs that maybe relate to their emotions and sh as like an example of ways to express them through song? Uh, sometimes, yeah. A, a lot of times the music that I pick out, if we're going to analyze lyrics, um, I I like to tell them that I don't really particularly care if they like a song that I pick out or not, I'm going to pick it out based on the message. So sometimes uh, we'll take a song about, we'll talk about coping, and we'll take a song where the person in the song isn't coping really well. So Tove Lo had a song recently, a couple of years ago, about staying high and eating too much and going to sex clubs as a way to cope. And then we talk about, well, is that healthy? What do you get out of that? You just feel gross afterwards, eating all that food, taking all those drugs, drinking so much. And then there's other songs where uh, it's like, yeah, I'm feeling sad, but I'll just do this thing. There's a country song about, oh, my friend died uh, serving his country, so the way I cope is I take his truck and I drive around empty fields and I tear him up and then I feel better at the end. And it's yeah. like, oh, well, that's uh, healthy in a way, I guess. Yeah. Some of our kids are concerned about, well, they're destroying property, so it's not really healthy. <laughs> it's like, well, you're right, but... Yeah. I mean, it's a good point, it's but... Than, yeah. <laughs> it's better than drugs, though. Yeah. If you could do one or the other, which yeah, one on, would you do? On a sliding scale of drugs to donuts in a field, uh, <laughs> I think the donuts are the safer choice. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, and do you ever get to the point where you get kids to sort of bring in their own bring in song choices of their own to look at i yeah i've had several a, a lot some of my best discussions have been when kids have brought in their own music 
I'll, I'll come in with a plan. Uh, this happened recently where um, the week before we had been talking about sadness and depression. So we listened to a couple of songs about sadness and depression. And then the next week uh, I had this whole plan and this kid came in and goes, I heard this song. I, I forgot I had this song on my iPod. And I think it's really relevant to what we were talking about last week. And so I said, all right, let's listen to it. And it really was. I forget the artist, but it was basically a song just full of references about hurting myself and wanting to shoot myself in the head or something like that. And just having that those lyrics really resonate with that person, not that they were suicidal in the moment, Mm. But just the fact that they were like, hey, this is relevant to me. This is important to me. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And we had a great conversation about when are times when you feel like that and just really processing through all those different emotions. Yeah. And if I, I figure, I assume a sign like that, if, if a kid's bringing songs like voluntarily, that's a good sign of progress and them sort of becoming a bit more aware of and acknowledging those kind of feelings and the relevance that kind of stuff has to their life? Yeah, you, you usually know you're on the right track when kids are volunteering information rather than trying to pull it out of yeah. them and try to trick them into confessing into something. Usually if they're like, yeah, I feel this way a lot, then you're like, oh, sure, that makes a lot of sense. Thank yeah. you for being vulnerable. Thank you for being open. Yeah. Uh, have there been any particularly weird song choices that any kids have brought in or anything like that? I'm sure there have. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now. There's there's this influx recently of kids saying that like trap music has been really beneficial to them. And <laughs> they'll they'll play me some, some weird stuff and then I go, oh, okay, I don't know how this is beneficial. <laughs> in the slightest about all these uh, drug references and, and gang references and that sort of thing. But then that's also an opportunity because teenagers love to talk about things that they like and they yeah. love to share information about themselves. So I've had good conversations about that. I said, this song is terrible. <laughs> the, the content is horrible. This is, I, I wouldn't like. Why are you listening to this stuff? And they'll say, "Well, it's talking about the struggle that I go through." It's like, "Oh, really?" It's like, "Yeah, my parents doing drugs. I've seen this and this and this makes me feel this way and that way." And so it's nice to know that somebody else is going through the same thing and struggling with the same thing. Yeah. As is there any particular times you just feel like an old man who does not understand these kids at all? Like every day of my life. <laughs> when when Fetty Wap first came out, I was convinced for three months that everyone uh, that lived on campus had made up this person <laughs> and were trying to trick me into, like, it even got to the point where it's like, yeah, Fetty Wap, he has one eye. And I go, now I know you're making it up. There's <laughs> no way you have that specific of a detail and it's still a real person. <laughs> But there you go, Fetty Wap was too busy taking the world by storm. Yeah. I know the words Fetty Wap, but I would not be able to tell you who Fetty Wap was or what what music he had or what it even was. I was like, but I have heard the name before. Yeah, I, uh, same boat. I, I still don't know. Yeah. 
do you look at music in different different kind of ways? So not just straight up music and songs and stuff. Do you ever look at the way music is used in movies or other kind of media or anything like that? Yeah, it's it's not something that I've done personally, but I know a lot of my colleagues have done that. Where um, I guess on YouTube you can find movie scenes without the music attached to it, hmm. or you can watch them on mute or something, and then just like recognizing how the right type of music can influence how you feel about a situation. I know there's all sorts of remixes on YouTube of, this is a comedy. We took a trailer to a comedy, and we added horror music to it, and now it's a terrifying <laughs> psychological thriller. Yeah. Like the song Mrs. Doubtfire yeah, is an example of that. That's the one that jumps to my mind as well. That one is, yeah. I think is a fairly well-known remix that somebody's done. Yeah. When you say your colleagues, is there a bunch of other... How many other people on campus would there be that do sort of similar music therapy stuff to you? Um, I am the only one at my facility that does music. Right. But there are about... There are almost 2,000 people in the United States that do music therapy in in different facilities and with different people. And uh, there's... I mean, it's a it's a global thing. Like, there's yeah. music therapists in Australia. There's music therapists in Europe and Canada. And Norway is a big... China is a big concentration of music therapists. So it's kind of a, a global outreach sort so, of thing. So there's, there's hundreds of thousands of different ways to use music with different people. Yeah, so are there, are there communities in which you can sort of communicate and share share sort of information and stuff with other people in the industry across you know America across the world that sort of thing oh yeah um, we have regional national conferences every year that bounce all over um, all over the country there's several different Facebook groups with music therapists so there's one specifically as a catch-all music therapist group from around the world, but then there's even specific ones for people who are working in mental health or people who have their own businesses or people who are working in hospice or people working specifically with the LGBT community Mm. because since they have their own sort of psychological and um, physiological and a lot of times speech needs, especially if they're transitioning and need some vocal coaching. Mm. Have you traveled much to, like to these conference things or to like what's the most you've traveled for your job? <laughs> um, the the most that I will travel will be coming up in November. We have our national conference in uh, Dallas, Texas. but I mean I've been to conferences in Florida and Ohio and Illinois and Minnesota and Kansas. Uh, Kentucky, they're all over the place. Yeah. So, so how does that sharing of ideas help? Obviously, like you know, people will, will share different methods of things that have worked. Has there been any particular ways that it's been specifically beneficial to you? I think, speaking in general, like different people have different musical interests. I mentioned earlier, I, I tend to be more on the acoustic indie folk side of things, mm. but if I'm looking for music with a specific message or a specific focus, 
it's nice to reach out to these communities and then they'll say like, oh, here are six country songs that have to do with that. Oh, here's a couple of metal songs. Here's a pop song. Here's a kid's song even. A lot of times uh, music from kids' TV shows are addressing exactly what you want to address. Sometimes you can bring them in and that can be pretty beneficial too. Yeah, because what's, what's the age range of sort of kids that you work with? Uh, our youngest is nine right now, and our oldest will be turning 19 soon. Right. So we got kind of a, a big age range going yeah. on here. And are there, are there people out there who deal with sort of real infant side, like the side of things, like really young children? Yeah. Um, a lot of times if you're working in a school setting, working with preschoolers, um, there's a big push in the field right now to, for developing interventions and techniques for kids on the autism spectrum, helping them socialize with other people, helping them focus, helping them express themselves. And so that goes from early childhood up through elementary age. Mm. There are some music therapists with specific trainings in neonatal intensive care. So working with premature babies, helping them develop and grow outside of the womb. Um, they, there's even, I think, if I remember right, there's even some music therapists that do music in the delivery room. So they're mm. kind of like pre-birth, helping pain management and helping keep the environment calm so that a yeah. baby can be born safely and healthily. Because I, I do know a lot of people who, you know, they get recommended or they do their their delivery room music list and that kind of stuff. So I imagine those kind of people mm -hmm. just kind of help cultivate the best kind of, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the best kind of environment. It, I, I, like to joke, I like to joke that it's not anything that I would want to do. But <laughs> more power to those people yeah, exactly. who yeah, want to be in that delivery room and, yeah. and help out. If it works for you, it works for you. I, I'm sure people yeah, are grateful. Right. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine not being there. Thanks. <laughs> so um, what about the things like musicals get incorporated much at all? Uh, they do sometimes. I mean, just I am recently into musicals. I used to resist them for a long time. Yeah, because I guess... I realized that, that they're actually a lot of fun. Especially because a, a, a lot of the songs in them are, you know, sort of in the way, same way of like the kids' song, a lot of the songs are designed to in express the emotion of the moment kind of thing in whatever the story yeah. might be. Exactly. Like there's so many songs where their specific purpose is character development and having them reflect on how they feel in a certain situation. Mm. So I've I've been trying to figure out how to use it. Dear Evan Hansen is kind of the musical that I'm obsessed with right now. And so there's a song called Waving Through the Window and it's kind of the main theme is about being an outcast, being an outsider. Of, hey, I'm waving through this window, but is anybody noticing me? Is anybody seeing me? Do I have any sort of purpose? And so I'm trying to figure out specifically how to use that uh, in a discussion. I don't know how receptive they're going to be, but it's yeah. a pretty cool song. I guess, yeah. Musicals, unless they're super theater kids, musicals can have a certain amount of stigma with the, the teens. Oh, yeah. There's either the kids who are really into them or the rest who don't care at all. <laughs> exactly. So has there been any really specific kind of techniques that you've developed personally that are kind of, I guess you'd consider your specialty? Um, I am really into 
um, improvisation and songwriting, especially. I just sat down a couple weekends ago and just tried to brainstorm as many different ways to approach how to write a song as possible. I mean, there's you can start from whole cloth and pick a topic and write your own lyrics and write your own music. Um, I've noticed that a lot of times my kids are more receptive if we're writing a parody of something. So mm. we'll take an existing song and we'll say, all right, change the words so that that's about this. Mm. And then they can usually have some fun with that. Sometimes even the most resistant kids are like, hey, I took this song, I took out some words, fill them in, fill them in with your own information, write a whole new song in that way. Mm. Um, and then just Im- improvising is kind of my favorite thing. I, it's one of those techniques that I wish I knew more about so that I can really use it effectively because especially coming from a trauma-informed sort of approach, um, the speech centers of the brain shut down when you're experiencing a flashback or you're experiencing any sort of uh, escalation in a trauma response. Mm. So sometimes music, since we don't have to use words and we don't have to use speech, sometimes improvising on instruments uh, are, is, is a really effective way of kind of circumventing those speech centers. And you can be even more nuanced. A lot of our kids that I work with, um, when you talk about emotions, they name like six. They name happy, sad, mad, pissed off, scared, and upset. And it's like, okay, tell me more. Oh, that's all I know. But in a musical realm, you can do the whole spectrum of mad from uh, annoyed to furious or frustrated to irate. And while you may not have the words to express that, it's easy to do that in the music. Just play as loud and as hard as you can. And it's sort of a cathartic release that helps them calm down a little bit too. Because I I feel like a lot of it might come down to, like in those situations, they don't have they don't come in with the best level of education behind them as well, I kind of might guess. Um, sometimes, yeah. I mean, trauma affects your short-term memory a lot of times. So they may have learned a concept the day before, but if it doesn't stick, they don't know how to use it. Hmm. And just uh, sometimes it's just the vocabulary. They haven't had a chance to learn uh, yeah. the different degrees of different emotions. I had a girl tell me once that, she was mad at me because I was trying to tell her to do something and uh, forgot the context of the quote, but she ended her, her piece by saying, I don't know the difference between irritated and agitated. I have no idea which one is worse, <laughs> and you're expecting me to talk about my emotions as if I knew this. Yeah. And it was kind of a, a wake-up call of like, oh, if you don't have a vocabulary for it, if you don't know how to describe it, yeah, nothing yeah. that I'm going to do is going to work. Yeah, so it becomes... So yeah, the music, the nonverbal way, sort of becomes a, a, a way of segging into those better explaining those kind of concepts to them. Oh yeah. So I mean, is, just talking about the how the music itself can express those, like differences in speed, or differences in volume, or differences in instrumentation. A guitar and a piano can play the same note, but they sound totally different, and they can set two totally different moods, yeah. uh, depending on your own experience with it. Mm. And and so you said, you said it's a fairly you know obviously the big there's a big global community in this thing. Um, have you ever like found or discovered there's sort of different methods that tend to occur in different parts of the world or anything like that? 
Um, I think just it's just an assumption that I have, I guess, that music is different and has different meanings and has different applications in different cultures. I'm thinking specifically um, in the Middle East, a lot of music there uses uh, quarter tone shifts, which Western music doesn't really use. So if you don't have an ear for it, you won't really notice it. But sometimes that that little switch. Um, a lot of times music from China has specific instrumentation and has a specific purpose of trying to evoke and elicit different imagery. And it sounds weird to Western ears, but then Kesha might sound weird to hmm. an older person from Beijing who won't understand kind of what Kesha's big deal is. And TikTok so means nothing to me. They're sitting there trying to listen to the entire like spaceship album going, I don't understand. Yeah. I don't get any of this. What's going on? <laughs> what is a Kesha? <laughs> That's I guess when you I, explain that we have no idea either. Yeah, it's like scientists have, been, scientists have been studying that for a long time. It's called the Kesha paradox. <laughs> Um, so as it's, I guess is the kind of thing where like ignoring the language barriers, if you went to, you know, a different country, so, somewhere in that, like China, the Middle East, you would kind of have no idea what to do in, in regards to music therapy. I, I mean, it would be a learning curve for sure, but I think there are some universal aspects of Music, music not being really a truly universal thing, but there are some universal aspects. I'm sure a drum circle would be just as interesting and just as engaging in Western cultures as in Middle Eastern cultures yeah. or in Asian cultures. Yeah, definitely. Just trying to stuff get like people that is, involved. Yeah, stuff like that is quite universal, I think. Yeah. Like the con, the yeah, the concept of obviously the concept of music and just rhythm and beat and keeping that stuff on time is translates everywhere yeah so is there any so you've just working in um the the campus place now do you, is that the kind of place you want to like basically stay for long term or do you have more long-term goals of doing your own thing or is there any yeah ways in which you want I, to reinvent the music therapy world as as far as like who i want to work with i i like to tell the kids that i work with that I plan on retiring where I am, then I'm not going to leave unless I'm fired or get a really nice job for somewhere else. But I, I think there's there's a growing need just in general in the psychology realm of understanding how trauma and how adverse experiences, especially in childhood, affect brain development. So my, my long-term vision for what I want to do is um, develop some sort of trauma-informed technique and trying to figure out how to use music in a specific way to build those emotional connections that are missing, to build those connections between physiological response and emotional response, knowing that, oh, this pit in my stomach is from something, and it's not just I'm getting sick all of a sudden, and then understanding and building those connections of how relationships are important and can help us express those different things and how can we use music to help build those relationships. I, I think it's it's something that is just starting to emerge and um, 
I think it would be really interesting and really important to kind of be on the cutting edge of that yeah. and to understand exactly how to apply music to it. Yeah. So, And is that the kind of thing? Are there places where articles get published and that kind of stuff that's specific to the music therapy realm, that kind of thing? People write, I, I can't even think what the right word is for them, you know, like scientific journals, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Peer-reviewed stuff. Um, there are a couple of journals that uh, the American Music Therapy Association publishes and reviews, uh, but articles about music therapy pop up all over the place. They pop up in journals about nursing, about occupational health and occupational therapy. Uh, there's a journal specifically for uh, the arts and psychotherapy, so talking about drama and talking about art and talking about music and how that can help in some of the similar things. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of literature out there if you kind of know what you're looking for. I mean, you can Google music therapy on Google Scholar and find all of these different books and all of these different articles that people have been citing and referencing and, and can really kind of give you an insider look into what exactly is going on, what exactly is being done, and how effective and beneficial it is. Right. Have you ever like wrote anything along those lines or would you? I haven't yet. I just found out a couple of weeks ago that I got accepted into grad school. Nice. So I'll be getting yeah, so I'll be getting my master's degree, hoping to focus specifically on using music in a trauma informed facility or in a trauma informed setting. So hopefully I get I get my name in print someday, whether as a book or a journal article. Uh, and then there could be a musical about your life at the end of it. Yeah, hopefully. Maybe Lin-Manuel will still be around. Yeah, I hear you. Exactly. He's only just getting started. So maybe just start <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Him. If you start like hitting him up now, just like <laughs> tagging him in Twitter posts and stuff just to get his attention. <laughs> just, yeah. Get, hey, get this the... might be good. Act 2, Scene 3. You never yeah. know. Yeah, you got to get the Hit ball rolling. Up, yeah, I'm sure he'll be <laughs> to Do it for the kids, Lin. Come on. That's right. <laughs> just guilt him into it. Okay, as a last question, is there any particular kids or any particular stories of working with a particular kid that was like a highlight for you that you really felt like you did well and you had an effect? Yeah, there's there's one kid that immediately pops into mind um, who just experienced about the, the worst childhood experience that you could possibly have, I guess. His parents were both drug addicts used drugs in the house all the time, uh, and, and kind of trafficked the kids, too, would bring people in and tell the kids to have sex with them and to have sex with each other and just for the entertainment of these different people. Eesh. And uh, as a result of that, he just really struggled with um, being able to express himself. He would bottle in his anger and lash out at people and... Uh, it got to a point when I started that they were considering him, uh, sending him to a psychiatric hospital or sending him to a more restrictive placement. And so I had him in a session where um, I played a song by Brian Eno. It's called Two Forms of Anger. So it's, it's a lot of drums. It's a lot of electric guitar and a lot of distortion, but no words. So I played it in this group that this kid was in. And I said, whatever it makes you think of, whatever pops into your head, words, phrases, drawings, whatever, put it down on a piece of paper, and then we'll talk about it. And, and almost as soon as the music started, he 
started writing and he wrote back and forth on two full pages and I like I had never seen like he never really engaged in anything so I was really excited and curious to see what was going to be on this paper and it turns out that he wrote a four-page letter to his mom and just was expressing how angry he was at her and how she said that she loved him but didn't show it said that she wanted him back but didn't do anything about it and, and just expressed that he gets so angry sometimes thinking about it that he punches holes in the wall hmm. and it, it was he was just very vulnerable about how he was feeling and how his um how his situation led him to end up here and how it was really affecting him and then we noticed as a team that after that session he started opening up a little bit kind of had this cathartic release started opening up a little bit more talking more to his therapist talking more to the staff and within the year was able to transition out and go to a foster home which right. was incredible it was something that we didn't think he was going to be able to do yeah. in a year and then all of a sudden releasing all of that anger and all that stress really helped him transition to that new home yeah did you ever did you ever find out what it was particularly about that song that kind of unleashed everything or unbottled everything i have no idea because it hasn't been successful since and i right. stopped doing it because <laughs> nobody else had any sort of reaction or response to it but i guess it, it must have just hit him in the right spot yeah and and we must have been just in, in a right moment and yeah. had the right relationship right where place, right time he, right song just felt comfortable. yeah exactly yeah. everything came together in that one moment yeah yeah one, yeah only like do you ever do you ever hear updates on those kind of kids like ever since he left do you have any idea i Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Last I heard from him, uh, they were able to find uh, a family placement for him. And I think he moved down to Florida. So I think he's living with an aunt or something down in Florida now. That's uh, heard. Do any of them ever keep in touch with you? Like, do they contact you? Well, there's letters or emails, or is that a thing that's frowned upon? Or uh, we We've had a couple of kids call back and just say, Hey, I lived here from I don't know, 2012 to 2014, and now I'm doing really well. We had a kid before my time uh, at this facility who called and said, "Hey, I was on the basketball team for three years, and just really appreciate you encouraging me and pushing me. And now I'm on the high school basketball team where I live now, and it's like that's incredible. Yeah, just being able to build those skills and, and build that confidence." to be able to get them in a place where they can do that. I feel like that must be one of the big obstacles, just getting those kids to a point where they're willing to put themselves out there because in any kind of performing, whether it's sport or, you know, as you said, with the kid who was playing the piano on stage, like putting themselves in that kind of vulnerable position seems like one of the biggest obstacles for them to overcome. Oh, yeah. It, it's really tough to allow yourself to be vulnerable, but once you do, there's a lot of growth and a lot of potential that can come from it. Yeah, I think it's hard enough when you're just a regular like kid or a regular teenager with no trauma to draw on because it's, terif right. it's terrifying enough, let alone when you add that onto things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's, yeah, well, that's incredibly fascinating. Like, it's a really cool thing you do. Like, I did not know much about all that, but no, it's incredibly interesting because... 
Yeah, it's like I said, it was it was something. If if we didn't have that high school class, I would have no idea what it was. Yeah, and I don't know if I'd even be doing it. Yeah, so. it's very weird. Yeah, finding out that way that it turns out there was this perfect job out there waiting for you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Oh well, uh, well, thank you very much for telling me all about it. That was yeah, incredibly fascinating. Yeah, thanks for having and, me. Happy yeah. to do it. And I'm sure there's a lot of the kids out there who are grateful for you doing it as well. Oh, I'm I'm sure they haven't told me yet, but I'm yeah. sure they are. Yeah, give well, give them like a like three years after they leave, and maybe one of them will call back yeah. and let you know. Yeah, I'll just I'll just be really patient about it. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Thank you very much for joining me. And thank you, everybody out there for listening. Um, yeah, please, again, share, tell everybody, like, skywrite about this podcast in the sky if you feel so inclined. But, yeah, let anybody know. And other than that, goodbye for now, everybody. And until next time, keep on caring. Bye.